house hacking is a great strategy to completely eliminate your living expense, or it can be a fantastic strategy to lower your living expense, but also still get as much enjoyment as possible um, out of your living situation. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Welcome to House Hacking Success. I'm your host, Bradley Labrie, here with my co-host, Drew. Drew, how you doing? Brad, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Today we had Connor Anderson from Bigger Pockets on the show. He's going to talk a little bit about his experience as a fellow house hacker, uh, his experience as a Bigger Pockets employee, and being a long-distance real estate investor. He moved from Denver, Colorado, which is the headquarters of Bigger Pockets, to Michigan, back where we are, and he's actually set to invest out where you are, Drew. This is a great in-depth podcast. Yeah, he also explains how he added $20,000 of value to a house by adding a bedroom. Uh, he's going to talk a lot about running out by the bedroom, how to structure those leases, and how to find the right tenants. Just so incredibly in-depth. And like you said, adding value, that's what he looks for in every deal. That's what he's looking for out in Grand Rapids. This is going to be a very, very good episode for everyone to listen to. Let's dive deep. What's up, everybody? It's Brad from House Hacking Success. And today I want to talk to you about my absolute favorite real estate app, which is Landlordy. If you're anything like me, you're an action taker and a doer, which means that administrative work gets in the way of our progress. I am horrible at keeping track of receipts, keeping track of the safety checks I need to do and routine checkups on my properties and keeping tabs on my tenants and the lease renewals and keeping tabs where my leases are. And Landlordy is an absolute lifesaver for me. With Landlordy, you can manage information about your properties, your tenants, keep contact information and documents easily accessible at your fingertips, no matter where you are in the world. If you're a traveler like I am, you can find this information on the beach and get the information to the people that need it. You can track your expenses in seconds, keep them organized, Use device camera to add expense receipts in seconds, which is absolutely amazing. Landlordy will remind you on your landlord duties like late rent payments, upcoming lease renewals, or appliance safety checks. Manage your business on the road or from the beach. Keep your rental business and related documents a few touches away day or night with Landlordy. Start managing your rental business on your iPhone or iPad. Go to landlordy.com forward slash house hacking. For 30% off Landlordy Plus, which is absolutely amazing. I personally use it. Go there today for house hacking success listeners only. Welcome to the show, Connor. We're thrilled you're here. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Really excited to be a part of this podcast. Yeah, this is going to be a great show and you have a great story. Uh, so tell us about your background before you joined Bigger Pockets, before you got into real estate. Uh, tell us a little about like what got you to that point. Yeah, so um, kind of the reason that I got into real estate and started joining bigger pockets and listening to podcasts and have an interest in real estate investing is um, just one day in my senior year of college and just thought of, you know, I would love to be wealthy one day. And what do the vast majority of people in America, how do they grow their wealth or build their wealth? And um, the thought of real estate came to mind and a lot of other successful people I knew that um, were wealthy invested in real estate. So um, I started listening to a podcast, not actually the Bigger Pockets podcast. I listened to Rod Cleef's um, Cashflow Multifamily podcast. And I was talking to a friend of mine about the podcast I was listening to, and that was real estate related. He's like, Oh, you listen to Bigger Pockets as well? 
And the answer to that question was no, I had never actually heard of Bigger Pockets before. Um, but as soon as I downloaded the first episode, I got hooked and went from episode one caught all the way up to at the time episode about 200. Um, and in that time period of probably like six to eight months when I was listening to all the Bigger Pockets podcast episodes, I had graduated. Western, yeah, graduate college from Western Michigan University with a degree in sales and business marketing um, and then minor in finance. I moved to Denver, Colorado, where Bigger Pockets just happens to also be headquartered. And I started a job at Oracle NetSuite doing business development. So just a lot of cold calling on companies trying to sell them software. Um, and then after about a year of doing that, I jumped from Oracle NetSuite over to Bigger Pockets, where I now do the advertising sales uh, for the podcasts, our newsletters, the conference, um, and a lot of other things. So whenever we have a new product that needs advertising or needs to be monetized in some sort of way, um, I handle all of that. And I mean, the reason I got the job at Bigger Pockets is because as soon as I moved to Denver, I started networking with. Um, some people that worked at the company. So Scott Trench, the CEO of Bigger Pockets, now I met up for dinner with him and just kind of talked about real estate investing. And then uh, became close friends with Craig Kerlap, who is not or who was on your podcast not too long ago. And him and I are really close friends. So yeah, that's kind of my story prior to investing in real estate and how I got the job at Bigger Pockets. Cool, cool. So uh, could you tell us about your first house hack in Denver, Colorado? Uh, how'd you find it and how did you finance it? Yeah, so um, I found it on the MLS. I got an awesome real estate agent in Denver. And um, for those who don't know, Denver is a very expensive market. So um, I had high expectations at first of I would love to buy a house with some sort of additional dwelling unit in the back where I could live in the additional dwelling unit and rent out the front. Um, but my price range is only about $270,000 and in Denver that just isn't enough. Um, so after looking at probably 20 to 25 different houses over a couple months span, I ended up buying a townhouse in the southeast portion of Denver that at the time was a two bed, one bath or two bed, two and a half bath townhouse, but had a unfinished basement where I saw the opportunity to build an additional bedroom. And to finance this, I used a three and a half percent down FHA loan. Um, and the reason I went FHA loan is because um, with my student loan debt and a lender only being able to use my base salary and not any of the commissions that I earn as a salesperson at Bigger Pockets, um, I had to have like I had to go with as high as possible debt to income loan. Um, and the FHA loan, of course, offers that compared to a conventional loan where they typically only go up to fifty percent debt to income ratio for an individual to finance a property. Yeah. And uh, FHA loans are great for people, you know, first times like yourself for many reasons. For yeah. that reason, debt to income. Uh, the other reason is, you know, they because it's federally backed, there are a lot looser guidelines on certain things like uh, getting a three or four unit is possible with an FHA, which is a little more challenging with some other loans. So uh, it's a great first time loan for somebody doing what you're doing. Correct. Yeah. So um, I, the FHA, I recommend to people 
in a similar situation to mine, but um, if they can go a conventional loan, maybe five or 10% down, I think there's a lot of benefit to doing that as well. But everyone's situation is quite different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with this deal, right, you added a third bedroom. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to us about like that process of adding the bedroom and also talk about the challenges you had with financing the contractors and then with tenants. Yeah. So um, the real issue when it came to financing was again, like only being able to use my base salary um, as income from a lender. Um, so that really limited my ability to purchase a duplex triplex quad. Um, so that's why I went the townhouse route, but when it came to adding the additional bedroom, um, what I did was did a lot, as much of the work as possible that I was comfortable doing. So what I did was the framing of the actual bedroom, and then I hired out the electrical and the drywall because um, although those are skills I likely could have learned over like on YouTube and stuff like that, the time that would have taken me to learn and actually do the electrical and drywall probably would have been about two months where I could hire an electrician and a drywaller and they could do both of those things in about, about less than a week. Um, and I can get a renter in there probably two months faster than if I would have done the work myself. Um, and looking at, you know, if I pay someone to do it, I, you know, I'm out a couple thousand dollars, but I can, collect a couple thousand dollars in rent sooner than if I would have done the work myself. So that's why I decided to hire out some of that work. Um, and it's something that I recommend people kind of weigh the options of when they're thinking about doing the work themselves compared to hiring it out. Um, some other things I learned was I used both of the people that I used to do the drywall and the electrical were unlicensed contractors. Um, one of them did a great job with the electrical. He was on time and did a great job. The drywall, on the other hand, showed up late every single day, um, was working later than I anticipated. So he'd be working at like 12 o'clock at night when I am trying to get to sleep and stuff like that. And then also, um, you know, took longer than I anticipated as well. But um, I think the reason that I ended up with not the world's greatest drywaller was because I didn't do a great job vetting him. Um, I just took a recommendation from a friend who had used him in the past, uh, but didn't listen to his experience with this drywaller in the past and that he had the same issues that I did where the contractor was showing up late, took longer than anticipated and uh, wasn't necessarily the most reputable guy ever but all in told it cost roughly five thousand dollars to add this additional bedroom into the basement of the townhouse um, where i then moved into it opened up an additional room upstairs where i could rent that out for about 850 dollars a month and um i after i added this additional bedroom i got an appraisal when i did the refinance and um, the value of the home went up $20,000 just by adding this additional living space. So um, it was definitely money well spent. Yeah. And uh, I've had definitely similar experiences with drywallers. Um, <laughs> they're, they're their own breed, contractors in general, but drywallers and they're, uh, they're interesting. Um, so you refinance out of that deal a couple of times, or uh, you refinance out of it. Talk, mm -hmm. talk about that process and the experience that you had with it. 
Yeah. So the reason I decided to refinance is because I wanted to get out of an FHA loan and into a conventional loan. The reason I wanted to get out of that is because the PMI on a FHA loan is there for the life of the loan. So um, as long as I am paying on that FHA loan, I will have PMI. It doesn't matter if I have 50% equity in the property or if I have only 90% equity, where in a conventional loan, the PMI drops off when you hit that 80% loan to value ratio, whether you get that 80% loan to value ratio because of appreciation and the market force appreciation from, um, you know, adding additional bedrooms and stuff like that, or really making it look nice and getting an appraisal or yeah, the loan pay down. So I wanted to do that so I could have the PMI drop off when I hit that 80% loan to value ratio. Um, and rates dropped quite a bit. So I, my initial rate with the FHA loan was 4.875. And then when I refinance, I got a 4% loan. So the payment dropped significantly with that refinance. Um, and that process was rather simple. I um, worked with the original lender that I um, bought the property with, and I also reached out to two other lenders as well. And the benefit of reaching out to multiple lenders was I was able to get them in a bit of a bidding war. <laughs> so um, they heard the rate that I got from one lender. They heard the closing costs I got from another lender. And the original lender that I used to buy the property was able to um, match those rates and even slightly beat the closing costs. So um, I definitely recommend anyone, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, get multiple quotes from lenders. So um, either you find a lender that has the best option or you find one that is willing to um, match the rates and closing costs. Yeah. Sh shopping around is important. And, yeah. you know, and just talking to them, tell them about your goals, tell them what other people are getting. You know, I've had similar situations where I've gotten, you know, either the ability to lower my closing costs, which is important, or lower my rate. Or both. Yeah, absolutely. And a huge thing to consider when refinancing is um, there are closing costs associated with that, but a lot of lenders. They will try to hide that fact by lumping in the closing costs into the loan. So um, you're not getting a loan for, say, two hundred fifty thousand dollars like you anticipated. You may be getting a loan for two thousand or two hundred fifty five thousand dollars to cover the closing costs, um, and that's can be a good option if you don't have a lot of cash on hand right now, or um, it may be better to pay the closing costs with cash. Um, so that's a huge thing to be aware of. There is no such thing as a zero cost closing of a refinance. Right. Cool. So you talked a little bit about adding that additional bedroom and how it added $20,000 of value. Mm -hmm. uh, could you explain how you saw that opportunity and what it cost to get that done? Yeah. So that was one thing that I was actually looking for and it was the primary criteria in a house that I bought. I wanted a house that had the ability to add an additional bedroom. Um, so things to look for are unfinished basements or finished basements that don't, that have a large living area that can be closed off with an additional wall. Or um, at a lot of times, maybe a single family house, like a three bed, two bath that has a large dining room, not 
everyone uses dining rooms anymore. So that's another easy way where um, just by putting up a wall, some drywall and electrical, you now have an additional bedroom. That additional bedroom um, counts really impacts the appraised value of a home. So um, for my situation, I saw the opportunity that all right, here's a unfinished basement. It's um, you know, got cement wall, cement floor, but just with a little bit of hard work, you can have a nice bedroom with, you know, four walls, great lighting and nice carpet. So um, that's how I did it. And yeah, it costs about $5,000 for the um, drywall framing, electrical, carpets, paint, closet door, um, all that stuff. Awesome. So you just moved here to Michigan. Uh, mm -hmm. where we are as well, from Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Talk about uh, why the move back to Michigan and what it's been like being an out-of-state investor now. Yeah, so um, I just kind of realized that in Denver is an awesome city, but I um, wasn't as close to family and friends as I would like to be. So um, I moved back to Michigan to be closer to family and friends, of course. And um, so far in the three or four months that I have been an out-of-state landlord, I haven't had too many issues that couldn't be handled um, over the phone or over text. I did have a situation where um, shortly after I moved out, one of my tenants started to grow weed in the house, um, which is legal in the state of Colorado, but broke my lease. Um, so... I was able to handle that by just having frank conversations with them. Like, hey, this is clear violation of the release. You need to stop this or I will move to evict you. Um, and this tenant being a 24-year-old recent college grad um, kind of saw the – if he did get evicted and that being on his you know credit history for a long period of time, it would greatly impact his ability to – rent other properties so he was i was able to you know get him to remove the plant from the house and stuff like that um but other than that i've had any issues i use cozy for rent collection so he pays his rent on the first of every single month um and i haven't had any lack of payments i use venmo for utilities um so i'm still collecting utilities and um I have already, like when I was in Denver, I started to connect with property managers to start interviewing property managers. So as soon as my current tenants move out, um, I can you know have the place cleaned and um, get a property manager to start filling out the property for me. You know they're going to be looking for tenants, screening the tenants, and actually placing the tenants in there, collecting the rent and dealing with all the phone calls. And I just, at the end of every single month, get kind of a statement of, um, here's what the amount of rent was collected. Here are any potential expenses that are over and above their fee. And I get the rest in my bank account at the end of every single month. So um, really, I'm, I'm looking forward to using this property manager that I have vetted out and it should be pretty easy. Great. Uh, so a lot of people see house hacking as a huge sacrifice. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us how you choose to stay happy and have fun instead of uh, viewing it as a sacrifice? Yeah. So with this first house hack, I sacrificed more than I would have wanted um, by buying in an area of Denver that isn't 
as close to all my friends and as close to downtown as I would like. Um, and also, you know, was living in a basement bedroom compared to maybe um, a nicer bedroom. So um, I think a lot of people will make more sacrifices than they're ready to just for an for extra dollars in their pocket. And at the end of the day, um, you know, your own happiness is significantly more important than an extra $100, an extra $200 a month. Um, so my plan moving forward is to um, find house hacking situations where I am still living the life that I want to live. So I, what I anticipate that looking like is either buying, uh, you know, a side-by-side -side duplex or a single family house with three or four bedrooms where I can take the master suite of a bedroom and I can live with two of my really close friends or, um, you know, buy a side-by-side -side duplex where I can live in one unit, uh, you know, by myself or with a roommate that I really enjoy and rent out the other side with a family compared to um, making lots of sacrifice, like living in a basement bedroom or um, living in a large house with four or five strangers that you may not necessarily get along with in the not so fun part of town. So um, at the end of the day, like house hacking is a great strategy to completely eliminate your living expense or it can be a fantastic strategy to lower your living expense, but also still get as much enjoyment as possible um, out of your living situation. So that's what I'm looking forward moving forward when it comes to a house hack. Um, not that being said, I will also be doing investing outside of a house hack. You know, buying additional rentals that I'm not living in that where the numbers work out fantastic, and I don't have to make any sacrifice whatsoever. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you work for Bigger Pockets. Talk a little bit about your role there, and then what's it like being in that atmosphere of real estate investors? And what have you learned? Yeah. So, working at Bigger Pockets is great. My role is advertising sales. So, I sell out all the advertisements on the three podcasts and um, all additional podcasts that we'll be coming out with. I sell the advertising for the newsletter. I sell the advertising for some different ads on the site. I work with the hard money lenders that pay to be featured on the site. Um, and then for our conference, the 2019 conference and the 2020 conference coming up, I am selling out all the sponsorships for that, along with managing a lot of other business to business relationships uh, that Figure Pockets has. And, um, one thing, one common misconception about Bigger Pockets is that 100% of the employees there are real estate investors, and all we do is talk about real estate investing when we're sitting in the office together. Um, and that really is not the case. We have about 40 to 50 people in the Denver office, and I'd say about a third of them invest in some capacity, whether that's house hacking. Uh, rental here or there, some out-of-state investing, um, or yeah. So um, during the normal work hours, like we're you know basically focused on our job and helping bigger pockets be an awesome company and continue to grow and serve our members. But um, there are some benefits like being able to go to different conferences and represent bigger pockets outside of our own conference. Um, getting to attend the bigger pockets conference. 
uh, for free, even though I do work a ton at that conference and being able to connect with lots of investors there. Um, since there are some people that are really interested in real estate investing that do work at bigger pockets, there are a lot of fun conversations at the lunch table or after hours about real estate investing and different strategies and stuff like that. Um, and I even have created a mastermind with uh, two of my close coworkers, Craig Herlop and Alex Wald, where we meet on a weekly basis and discuss our goals and kind of hold each other accountable for reaching those goals. So um, those are some of the benefits of working at bigger pockets that you may not have at a job such as an old job at Oracle NetSuite. Cool. So uh, you're getting your real estate license. Um, what are your long-term goals with that? Yeah. So my long-term goals with getting my real estate license is to one, help just buy myself a house. Um, when I buy a house, I will collect, you know, half of the commission on that sale and I can use that, you know, couple percent of the purchase price to either help furnish the property or help pay for renovations to the property. So that'll be really nice. But um, I want it to be a potential side stream of income to where I can invest more pay down my student loans more or build up uh, enough passive or not passive income, enough income in my kind of side business as a real estate agent to where I would have the opportunity if I decided to, to um, quit my job and focus on that full time. So basically I'm looking at getting my real estate license as additional income that I can do whatever I'd like with. Um, while also thinking about the potential of having that be my full-time work and having the flexibility of not working a traditional nine to five. So, so let's speak to that a little bit. You are back in Michigan and you're targeting the same rough area that Drew is in out in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is sort of an up and coming um, city here in the state of Michigan. Talk mm -hmm. about what your criteria is. Uh, you know, you know, like you said, as a real estate agent, you want to be able to collect that commission. What's your criteria moving out to Grand Rapids? What are you looking for? Um, so my criteria for my next house hack is something, a property likely a side-by-side -side duplex or a three to four bedroom single family house in kind of the path of progress in Grand Rapids while also having the ability to drive additional value by making updates to the house, whether that is adding additional bedrooms, um, finishing out a basement, or just making large cosmetic updates to a property. Um, so I'm looking for something to where um, when I buy the house, I have the ability to drive equity into the property by making a large amount of updates, but I'm still looking for a move-in ready house. Um, that's, so that's kind of my criteria currently. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And targeting bedrooms is uh, like you did, you know, is a great way or bathrooms um, mm -hmm. is an incredible way to drive value. Like you said, uh, you know, what you put into the property, I forget the exact figures. You said five grand, I think you put into it and the amount of money that, uh, you know, added value to it is just exponentially more than what you generally have to put into a bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. In the Denver property, I put in about five grand and got $20,000 in additional yeah. equity after a um, appraisal. So that's something I'm looking to do again in Michigan where 
<laughs> the numbers probably won't be that incredible um, just because Grand Rapids is a lower price uh, properties than Denver, but it'll still be really great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to newbies who are looking to house hack? Um, I think the best advice I can give a newbie when it comes to house hacking is to be really patient. Um, for myself, I had the goal of I'm going to buy a property by the end of 2018. Um, and I did that. I bought a property on December 4th or December 14th, 2018. Um, and it was, it was a successful house hack. It's worked out great and it will continue to work out really great. But, um, if I was a more patient, I could have potentially found a slightly better property in 2019, um, where after I filed my 2018 taxes, a lender could look at that and I would have been able to afford a maybe $350,000 house um, in Denver where it was four or five bedrooms and it would have been a deal that cash flowed a little bit better. Um, so I don't regret buying my first property at all, but if I was a little bit more patient and waited, um, an additional three months, I probably could have potentially bought a, a better deal. So, um, along, yeah, along without being patient, like instead of being very emotional where I had this goal, I had to meet it. If I didn't meet this goal, I would have been bummed out. Um, I, if I would have acted maybe a little bit more analytical and rational, um, that would have benefited me quite a bit, but I really do. I'm very happy that I did pull the trigger when I did because it's worked out well. Great. Uh, what advice would you give on screening tenants and setting up leases? Yeah. So screening tenants, I have used cozy to screen tenants. Um, I believe it's a $40 charge and that does a credit check and then also a criminal check. And key things to look for, of course, is like credit score, um, the amount of debt an individual has. Do they have any prior convictions? Do they have any criminal history such as, stabbing, whatever. Um, those are obviously clear things that you want to avoid. But um, one thing that I wish I would have done when it came to screening my tenants was actually call on previous landlords um, or get other sort of references. Um, so by doing that, I maybe could have avoided finding a tenant who um, on paper was fine and conversations is a good good enough guy but um, maybe could have avoided finding a tenant that would attempt to grow weed in my house um, so that that's my advice and then um setting up leases so i have used the bigger pockets lease that all pro members get for free or if you're not a pro member of bigger pockets you can buy them for a fee um, and it's worked out relatively well um, one thing that I would read through it and then add any sort of additional language that you think is pertinent to house hacking with this individual. So such as language about cleanliness, um, what, how you're splitting up utilities, whether you can grow weed in the house or not, whether pets are allowed or not, um, just any sort of additional rules that you would like to put in there add them and then clearly spell out what the penalty is for if you break that, whether 
Um, if you break this, you're evicted. If you break this, is a hundred dollar fine. Whatever. Um, so find a great lease, such as the bigger pockets lease, for your state, but add additional rules and regulations to that lease that you see fit in a house hacking situation. Yeah, and something I see often, you talked about patience uh, as an investor and getting into properties, but also it kind of applies to this when it comes to tenants. I see a lot of people spend a lot of time, right, painting, setting up the property, maybe doing some renovations, and then they speed through the process of getting a tenant, right? Mm -hmm. And they do the, you know, the least amount of work and find the first person that comes in that has a good enough, uh, you know, resume and they'll put them right in there and, they'll, and sometimes they'll have problems where being thorough, like you talked about, you know, actually calling the references, actually asking for references, right? And, you know, asking for as many questions as you possibly can, right? Like having them fill out additional information about themselves and really trying to learn who you are, learn who your tenant base is and do the actual homework. Yeah. And to kind of go off of that, some additional advice when it comes to leases is and screening tenants, like, of course, meet your tenant in person, um, get to know them, you know, grab coffee, grab beer with them. To, because this is someone, if you're doing a house hacking situation where you're renting by the room, you're going to be living with this individual. Um, but another thing to kind of consider and play with is the length of term for the lease. Um, I started out doing, I've actually only done six month leases with my tenants. Um, one, the reason I did that at first was since I started a lease in January of 2019, if I did a six-month lease, then I could start to do 12-month leases on the summer schedule. But also when doing the rent by the room, um, there may be situations where it doesn't work out with a tenant. You may not get along or they are looking for a new living situation or whatever. Um, allowing them to get out earlier than a 12 month lease gives you the flexibility. Um, I know people that have done one like month to month leases in the house second situation. And I've known people to do, you know, starting out a three month lease trial um, and then moving to a 12 month lease. So really you just kind of got to weigh the options of, what exactly you're looking for? Are you looking for flexibility with the potential people that you may be living with, or are you looking for the stability of 12 rent payments coming your way? Yeah. And, that, and that's important too, like you said, especially when you're doing like a rent by the room uh, situation, or, you know, even like you talked about getting on a non-winter based, especially out here in Michigan yeah. and even Colorado as well. But, you know, in, in January, right after the holidays, while it's, you know, we've got snow and, and it's cold, people aren't moving as much. Right. But if you can get them into, you know, leases ending in spring or summer or even sometimes early fall. Right. That's a good time to get a good quality tenant. And there's going to be a lot more uh, out there to pull from. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that's that's a key point. And we don't talk about that a lot, but I have done similar, um, you know, set up even you can play with it, whatever you want. I've done nine month leases right? Mm -hmm. to, to set up. I did that um, last Christmas. Uh, I had someone and, you know, they had they were coming right in right before Christmas. And I did a nine month lease so that right before school year um, rolled around, you know, right at the beginning of September, I would be able to uh, you know, pull from that pool. And that's what they wanted as well. So you can, you can do whatever you need to do. 
Exactly. Yep. What do you think separates potential house hackers from those that actually do it? Because there are a lot of people that talk about it and they spend a lot of time thinking about it, but they fall into analysis paralysis or life catches up with them and they never actually get around to do it. What do you think the difference is? I think the biggest difference is honestly just their fear. Um, They may be afraid of, all right, if I buy a house hack, what happens if the furnace runs out, which I've ran into. I have had a furnace go out, cost me $5,000 to fix, but luckily I had money set aside to take care of that. They um, fear that they're not going to be able to find renters. I have never had a shortage of renters out there that are looking for a nice quality place to live. Um, Or I've even had such fears as how does this impact my taxes? Um, Those are questions that should be answered after you buy the property um, and discuss with the CPA. So um, I think, and that's a, I mean, fear is a huge thing that separates people that aren't even looking to house hack, but are looking to buy a rental property across town um, that stops them from doing that. So um, I just kind of like to reframe their fear of like, what is the worst thing that could potentially happen? Oh, the worst thing that you happen is you lose, not even lose, like you may have to spend an additional couple thousand dollars. It's just money. You still have your health. You still have your family. You still have your friends. That's not the end of the world. Um, when it comes to like taxes, oh, you have to hire a CPA instead of doing your taxes on H&R Block. You know what? That's probably huge because of $400 that you spent on a CPA is probably going to get you an additional two to $3,000 in your tax return that you didn't know about when you're using H&R Block in the past. Um, and yeah, when it comes to like not being able to find renters and having a, long, a lot of vacancy, the way that the trends of the world and the U.S. are is more people are becoming long-term or forever renters instead of buying their house. So the pool of people that are looking for a high quality place to live is continuing to increase. So um, just kind of recognizing what your fears are and then saying like, all right, what's the worst that could happen? And then just kind of thinking of different ways to overcome those fears is I think what separates people who, you know, want to house hack, but don't. Absolutely. And, you know, I tell I, I have people come to me with similar you know situations of fear and and things like that, and I tell them I mean I've had my fair share of things like your uh, you know the furnace going out. I mean I, on Christmas Day a couple of years ago, uh, my sewage the sewage backed up right city sewage backed up, and it was a huge deal. And I had to call a twenty four hour plumber right, and you address the situation. I had a massive tree fall in my house right, uh, like you know there have been things that have happened uh, outside of my control. Right. But it's been being a house hacker has been the greatest things ever happened to my wealth building journey. Uh, it's just exponentially, you know, built wealth, built, you know, residual income. Um, and you just deal with the minor issues as they come up because mm-hmm. it's a part of real estate. But like you said, the tax benefits, right, the appreciation benefits, um, you know, the mindset benefits. I mean, they far outweigh some of the minor issues that come up being a landlord. Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, we love to read books. Uh, we talk about books a lot on the show. Uh, do you have a favorite mindset or business book for us? Yeah, I definitely have a number of mindset and business books that I've enjoyed. Um, this probably will be the first that you guys have heard, had this one mentioned, but Can't Hurt Me um, by David Goggins is an incredible mindset book. 
Um, he, if you guys don't know who he is, he's a you know Navy SEAL. He's gone through a lot, a lot of struggles in his life, and is now you know ultra marathon and honestly just a complete badass. So um, I'm a big fan of that book. Um, business books, I really enjoy. Um, so good they can't ignore you. Um, and yeah, yeah, constantly reading new books. So um, I have a long list of ones that I really enjoy. Yeah. And Jesse Itzler had a great book uh, on David Goggins. Yeah. I don't think David Goggins actually co-wrote it. I think he just wrote it about him. Um, but yeah, Bo- you know, Goggins is, he's, he always makes me feel s- smaller every time I listen to him or read one of his books. Yeah. He knows how to humble you real quick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with business books, mindset books, what's your favorite real estate book? Hmm. My favorite real estate book. That's a tough one. I really enjoyed Millionaire Real Estate Investor uh, and then Set for Life by Scott Trench is another fantastic real estate book. Um, So I'd say those two would be my favorite. I haven't read a real estate related book in a couple of years, but um, the Bigger Pockets podcast honestly is where I get the vast majority of my real estate investing knowledge. And that's a book within itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, both those books are great. Uh, Gary Keller, I believe, wrote the uh, the first book, and then Scott Trench book. That was a huge, um, you know, just mindset shift for me between the fact of you know variable expenses and fixed expenses, yep. right? Like a lot of uh, national pundits just kind of you know assume that you have to have these fixed expenses in life, where us as house hackers, uh, you know, we attack the fixed expenses in life and create that large savings gap. So that was a great book. That was one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah, absolutely. So we really appreciate you coming on today. And I know a lot of people can relate to you. We have a lot of listeners here in Michigan. So you might want to reach out to you, whether uh, as an agent, when you get your license or in other capacities, just to reach out and talk to you. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So best probably best way to probably reach out to me would be Instagram. Um, that's where you and I connected. So my Instagram is Connor T Anderson um, or Bigger Pockets would be another great place to reach out to me. Uh, my Bigger Pockets profile thing is biggerpockets.com slash Connor T. Anderson. And then anyone can reach out to me via email as well. Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R at biggerpockets.com. Um, yeah, like I said, I'll be a real estate agent here within the next probably month or so. So um, March 2020, and I'll be per- for, or, yeah purchasing my first property and Grand Rapids, but I'll be helping out a lot of my friends and family and fellow investors purchase property all over the west side of Michigan. So anyone that is interested in um, just connecting, please reach out to me via any of those ways. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you for you. Thank you for having me, Drew and Brad. Uh, all right, man. Yeah, you have thank you, day. Connor. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed. So go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.